pray, uh, and, and you can do that with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this Memorial Day weekend. Thank you for the, the host homes, the satellite houses that we can gather and worship you and unite, even though for some it's digital, we can, but we can still unite our voices, Lord, and, and uh, unite in our spirit and, and express thankfulness to you for who you are, for what you've done. We're thankful today for the brave men and women who served in our forces in the military and gave their lives for the very freedom that we are enjoying this morning. So I pray that you would come and be with us. We invite your spirit to come, Lord, and open our hearts and our minds to the truth so that we can see it, so that we can celebrate it, so that we can express it. And we ask and pray all these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. TJ, come and lead us in a time of worship. Here. You guys want to stand up and clap. That way I'm not up here by myself. <laughs> God, we just want to worship you this morning. We just praise you for everything you're doing, Father, um, and just making a way for us to be able to congregate um, in person. Uh, just to come together, just to worship your name, Father God, and learn about you and have uh, um, fellowship with each other, God. We just praise you. We ask you to continue to open up those doors and make those, uh, that possible, God, in your timing, not in ours. And uh, we just love you and we praise you. And we just want to praise you this morning, God. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. For he is good. Thank you. 
you get alive, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is
Father, um, just to receive your word and that you would comfort us, um, that your word would not hold judgment on us, Father God, although it does hold judgment against us, Father, but that it would be a breath of fresh air, Father, um, and that you'd be able to release us from our anxiety and our anxiousness, Father God, and our sins this morning, Father, um, as you just open our eyes up to your word, uh, Father, we just ask that you would speak through Tommy this morning, um, as he just, uh, Teach us from your word, Father God. We just love you and praise you for Jesus' name. Good morning. Um, this morning we're going to be in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. If you want to read along in your device or your Bible. And it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Good morning. Man, it's good to have a congregation again. A little congregation in a backyard here. So if you see my eyes going all over, I really like to look at people when I'm preaching. Uh, much prefer that to a camera. But wherever you're at, welcome to a Grace Life live stream or satellite. Thankful that you're here. This morning I'm going to talk about anxiety. Um, and that seems to be a really engaging topic right now for for a lot of people whether you're a christian or whether you're an unbeliever a lot of people are talking about that because a lot of the uncertainties uh that people are facing right now with the the covid 19 and the pandemic and what the future is going to be like what the economy is going to be like what education is going to be like what universities are going to be like there's a lot of uncertainties and with uncertainty comes fear um 
you know, it's interesting, the word anxiety in Greek from Philippians 4 and the other places, um, it actually has a very specific meaning. It means to be in pieces. You guys ever felt like that? <laughs> that you're just in pieces, you're just divided. That's the same uh, idea that Jesus had when he told Martha, he said, Martha, Martha, you are distracted and bothered and anxious about many things. You're just cut up into pieces. Your attention's everywhere. That's what anxiety means. And the opposite of anxiety, which is to be in pieces, is to be at peace, which means to be whole, to be singular, um, to be flourishing and to be healthy and to be at rest and to be calm. So you got these two ideas. Anxiety means to be torn into pieces and peace means to be whole. They're opposites. And it's interesting if you think about human beings and you think about creation, we are unique amongst all of God's creatures, obviously because we're made in his image. We're like God in that sense. Let us make man in our image. But let me just take your, take your imagination to uh, an African Serengeti, okay, on a savanna. You will see something really interesting if you go there or watch a documentary. You will see an antelope grazing in the meadow in the savanna. This antelope is grazing and, and he's at perfect peace even though he is surrounded by predators that are much higher up on the food chain. There's lions out there. There's hyenas out there. There's all these threats and fears that confront this antelope, but the antelope is not, he's not stressing, man. He's just grazing. He's at peace. He is living in the moment. He's not having regret over his past. He's not having fear or apprehension about his future. He's living in the moment. Isn't that interesting, man, that God, when Jesus preached his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he actually invited anxious Christians, anxious disciples. He said, take a walk with me and look around. Look at the birds of the air. Look at creation. Look at the animals. They're not fretting. They're not toiling. They're not spinning, you know, with fret and worry. They are at peace. They're living in the moment. The humans had this unique, um, I don't know what the word is for it. We have this unique struggle is that we're apprehensive. We're fearful. Now, this same antelope, check this out. The same antelope, God gave this thing called instinct. And when a lion does come galloping toward the antelope, fear sets in. And this antelope takes off, man. And maybe he outruns the lion that day. Maybe the lion figures out, look, I'm going to burn more calories than I'm going to gain if I catch this thing. So forget it. It's not worth it. So you see the antelope stop, look around, and put its head back down and graze. And perfect. Isn't that interesting, man? Like they can go from fear to like calm in just a matter of seconds. Uh, you just don't see an antelope sitting around thinking about what if a lion comes? What if a hyena comes? What if there's a drought? What if there's a famine? What if it doesn't rain for months? What if other antelopes think I'm a bad mother? Antelopes don't have that, right? And that's why God says, look at the birds, look at the ravens. And then he gives a promise. He said, are you not much more valuable than antelopes or than birds or whatever it is? It's just really interesting that animals can kind of live in the moment that human beings really, we have a struggle with that. There's no peaceful grazing for us. We're always apprehensive. That's why anxiety and peace are opposites. Anxiety means to be torn into pieces. And that is why the apostle Paul says, leave anxiety behind. You know, he wants to give us help. So does Jesus. So does Peter. The whole Bible addresses anxiety. And if you were to go to, to the anxiety mental health website, you would find the statistic that says over 40 million Americans struggle with anxiety to the extent that they have somehow registered that struggle and they've become part of the statistic. But we know, don't we, that as many people as are on the face of the planet struggle with anxiety. You know, we, we may not register or we may not share it with anybody. Uh, so there's much, there's a much higher percentage than 40 million, all of the struggle with anxiety. And aren't you thankful that the Bible is super relevant, that it addresses your anxiety and my anxiety. God knows us. He understands us. And he has plenty to say about it. And we're going to talk about that today. Because listen, anxiety can be debilitating. It can cripple you. It can weaken your health. It can hijack your relationships. It can affect your career. It can affect your family. It can do untold damage. And that's why God understands this is a bad thing and we need to eliminate it. You know, Paul doesn't give us coping strategies. He doesn't tell us to talk to your anxiety. Uh, we can talk about some of that. I'm going to do two parts on this. But the first thing that the Apostle Paul does outside of the gate is he centers uh, the way we confront our anxiety. It's grounded in God. And, and that's something you're not going to get anywhere else you go.
to get help for your anxiety. You're not going to get what the Apostle Paul gives you here because he doesn't start with methods. He doesn't start with techniques. Now, those things aren't bad in and of themselves. It's just not where the Apostle Paul starts. He starts with deep, rich theology about who God is, the promises that he offers. And that's just amazing. Um, if you're like me and, and you're studying the Bible and you're trying to take serious all the things that it tells you to do, sometimes you can scratch your head because in this, in this same book that we're looking at, Philippians chapter 4, just one chapter earlier, the Apostle Paul says this. Check this out. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. That's just his apostolic language to talk about false teachers, bad theology, people that don't have your best interest in mind. Look out. Even Jesus himself said, beware of men. Be on the alert. Walk circumspectly. And then you read the rest of the Bible, and it's like, hey, there's all these cataclysmic things coming. There's persecution coming. Um, so you're like, wait, wait a minute. I'm told to look out. Look out. Be alert. Watch out. Beware of men. And in the very next chapter, Paul says, don't be anxious. Are you like me? Does that frustrate you a little bit? You're like, hey, on a minute, man. You're telling me to look out, be alert, but at the same time, you're telling me to, to not be anxious and to be at peace. So how is that possible? And, and maybe it will help you to know that the Apostle Paul himself understood this struggle because he confessed it in another letter. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, the Apostle Paul said this. He's given this long list of things that he had suffered from. He had been shipwrecked. He had been beaten. He had been left for dead outside of a city. He was harassed by false leaders. He was attacked by religious hypocrites and legalists. And then he, he lists this at the very end. He says, but apart from all those things, there is the daily pressure on me from my anxiety over all the churches. Same word in Greek, torn to pieces. So here's the Apostle Paul. So he's not telling you and I to stop being anxious as some outsider that outsider that has this licked. He is with us in the battle. And man, that's helpful to know. As a matter of fact, if you want to, you know, geek out on the context there, Paul is writing this from prison. <laughs> so he's not in the Hyatt. You know, he's not, he doesn't have a pina colada in his hand and with his legs crossed and somebody fanning him uh, with a palmetto from, from Israel and saying, you guys just chill out. He's in prison, possibly facing the end of his life, and he is at peace with himself, with God, and with the circumstances, and he's going to help you and I be at peace too. So what he says is to not be anxious, and then he's going to help us to know how to do that. But Part of what we have to confront when we come to this is that we can't do this by ourselves. We need outside help. You and I cannot possibly conquer our anxiety alone. And, and let, me, let me be more definitive, make sure we're all using the same dictionaries. What does it mean to be anxious? I've already told you it, mean, it means to be torn into pieces, but what, what is the experience of anxiety? Well, there's anxiety and then there's also fear. Now, fear is more concrete. Fear is more objective. I can say, I'm afraid that people aren't going to pay attention to my sermon. That's a fear that has something tethered to it, right? When it comes to anxiety, it's more nebulous. It's more subjective. I'm just anxious. I'm just afraid. I don't know what I'm afraid of. Anxiety basically says, I know the world is a dangerous, unsafe place, and I'm afraid something bad is going to happen to me or someone or something that I care deeply about. That's what anxiety says. And it's hard to wrap your mind around anxiety because it's so subjective. You can't really say, well, what is it you're afraid of? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just anxious. I'm just apprehensive. It's like a child in the dark and they're afraid. And you say, honey, what are you afraid of? I don't know. I'm just afraid. And there's nothing you can do to talk that kid out of being afraid, right? You can look under the bed. You can go in the closet. You can turn the light on and off. But when you leave that room, they're going to get this sense of foreboding again, this anxiety. They can't, they can't really put a name to it. Put a name to their fear. They're just anxious. And that's what the Bible's talking about. You're torn into pieces. Your mind is going in a thousand places. It's, I'm just afraid and I'm apprehensive. All of us experience that. And God wants to help you and I confront and overcome our anxiety. Now, look, I know that I can't possibly say everything about anxiety that, that needs to be said, uh, even with the Bible in one place. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about anxiety, uh, maybe some methods and some techniques I'm going to talk about that next time and, and how does psychology intersect. A lot of Christians have a difference of opinion. There's actually a lot of conflict and controversy 
over anxiety and medication and all of that. I'm going to get to that next time, okay? But I don't want to leave you on the edge of your seat. I believe medicine is a common grace, and it's a blessing from God. And when we need it, we need to accept it with humility and with thanksgiving, okay? If, just, if that puts your mind at ease, if you wonder where your pastor stands on this, I think doctors and medicine are a gift from God when we need them, okay? So let's move forward. What does the Apostle Paul, what does God offer anxious people, anxious Christians who suffer from this? He offers us three things. And again, all three of these are grounded in God, okay? And that's why you're not going to get this if you go to Books A Million or Barnes & Noble and go to the section on mental health and anxiety. I guarantee you, you're not going to get what I'm going to give you, what the Apostle Paul is going to give you today. And that's not to say all of that stuff's worthless. It has its place. But I'm telling you, it's interesting to me when Paul says, don't be anxious, he like bypasses the, the techniques. He gets to those later. He starts out with God. So here's what we have. Let's read the verse again, Philippians 4. And there's a reason why we started uh, with verse 4 here, Philippians 4. Let's read it together. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we're going to stop there and we'll go through verse um, eight, and nine. Next time we talk about this. So right smack dab in the middle of verse five is where the Apostle Paul actually starts, I believe. For those of you that don't know this, your Bible is inspired. I believe every word is inspired. It's infallible. It carries authority. It carries weight. This is God's word to us. But the numbers and the chapters are not inspired. They were put there by translators. Now, they're super helpful if you're trying to memorize scripture or reference or catalog it. But sometimes they're misleading. And I think this is one of those cases because verse five says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And then there's a semicolon in my translation, and it starts a new thought. Do not be anxious. So it sounds like just out of thin air, the Apostle Paul drops down in parachute fashion and says, hey, you, stop it. <laughs> stop being anxious. Just stop it. Does that sound odd to you? Is that helpful? I don't think that's where Paul starts. I believe where the Apostle Paul starts is in the middle of verse 5. So what I'm telling you is, I think the last part of verse five should be the very beginning of verse six. And let's reread it in this way. Check this out. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Does that change what you hear from the Apostle Paul? He actually begins with assurance. And I don't know about you, but when I'm anxious, when I'm afraid, I need that. The stop it thing first doesn't help me so much. I already know I'm not supposed to be anxious and that it's not good for me and that it can cripple me and render me ineffective and do untold damage, not to mention what it does to my witness about Christ in the world. If I'm anxious all the time. No, I think the Apostle Paul starts with a promise. He says the Lord is at hand. Now, a lot of people translate this. He's talking about the second coming of Jesus, and they connect that with the previous thought. Let your reasonableness be known to everybody. And you better be about it because Jesus is coming back soon. They think that's what that word in Greek, it's one word and it, and it means near. And they are saying that that word means Jesus is near in time, like summer is near. But that's not the only way this word is used in the Bible. In fact, a lot of the time it's used for space, like that microphone is near. It's near me spatially. It's very close by. And I believe that that fits the context. There's no grammatical connection or conjunction so translators are left to figure out where this word belongs. And I'm telling you, I'm not alone. Some Greek scholars believe that this promise belongs with the, with the prohibition to not be anxious. So again, let that settle on you. Where does the Apostle Paul start? He starts with assurance of God's presence. And guys, that makes all the difference in the world. Again, go back to the analogy. There's a kid in a room in the dark, and he's afraid. You go in there and you tell him to not be afraid. Go ahead and try it, parents. I have. I got six kids. I try it all the time. Stop being afraid. Don't be apprehensive. This is ridiculous. There's nobody here. There's no monster under the bed. There's no psycho killer in the closet. Nothing's going on. And then turn the, the light back out and leave and see what they, what do they want? What does that kid want more than anything? He wants you, mom, or you, dad, to be in that room with him. Why? 
because your presence means more to them than anything else. You can, you can tell them. And that's why I think this is so powerful. And if you're not careful reading your Bible, you'll completely miss it and write God right out of the story and just start with a commandment, with a prohibition. Hey, when you stop it already, there's actually a really funny, but it's tragic, a skit about that from Comedy Central with Bob Newhart. It's one of those like Saturday Night Live-ish uh, skits where there's a girl and she's petrified of being buried alive in a box. And she comes and meets with her therapist, Bob Newhart, and he says, hey, this will take five minutes. I got two words for you. And she gets out a pen and paper and he says, you, you, you won't need that. And he says, are you ready? Here, here's my therapy. Stop it. <laughs> That's what he says. And she goes, ah, she said, I don't like that. And he says, well, I got some more words for you. Stop it or I'm going to bury you alive in a box. And everybody's dying laughing, but I find it's no laughing matter that a lot of people approach fear, apprehension, and anxiety the same way. It's just more a more complex version of just stop it. We already know we need to stop it. What we need is what the Apostle Paul offers us here, and it is assurance that God is near. And listen, man, that makes all the difference in the world. When you're afraid, when you're anxious, somebody is close by. How close? How close is God? Well, if you're a believer, you have his Holy Spirit dwelling within you, the paraclete, right? The advocate, the helper, the comforter. He's with you. He's within you. He's that close. But Paul says the Lord is near. And man, that's better than any parent. I, I was telling my wife this morning, we were talking about this. And I believe that 12 step, step programs are, are a gift in so many ways because they offer what other programs don't. They offer you a place to be honest and vulnerable and transparent to say, hey, look, that's the first step in the 12 steps is I can no longer manage this problem on my own. It's totally outside my control. And my life is chaotic because of it. I need outside help. So that's step one, admitting it, confession. But basically what 12 step programs offer you that I think is the most helpful is other people who are experiencing what you're experiencing. Let's just say you're an alcoholic and you go to an AA meeting, which is a 12 step version. What do you find there? You find other people. It's almost like a family that experienced the same struggle that you experience, and they share their stories. But I want to tell you this. At some point, you need more than that, right? If I just tell you, hey, look, don't be anxious because I'm here and I'm anxious, too, and we can be anxious together. Is that is is that particularly helpful to you? Maybe a little bit because you're not alone anymore. There's somebody else here. And man, they feel your pain. They've tasted this poison that you've been drinking too. And they are with you. You can both sink together and drown while you hold hands, right? Uh, AA could offer you some of that, but AA has a leader that's there to direct you and to offer you help, right? So if I just tell you, hey, don't be afraid, stop being anxious because somebody is here to be anxious with you. That would be like you going to an AA meeting and, and all the people say, well, nobody else is here. So let's just all share our stories. And then when you're finished, you say, well, uh, I hope that was helpful to you. Now, everybody go out there and stay clean and stay sober until next week at 7 p.m. That's not what this is saying. It's saying somebody is here with you and they have a power that you need. They have an understanding that, that you're not going to find anywhere else. Remember, we talked about this before. Jesus is the most understanding person in the universe. And he is also the most approachable person in the universe and the most accessible person in the universe. So that matters. If there's somebody that's that near and has that kind of power and that kind of understanding, that kind of compassion, that kind of patience, that's what you most need up front if you're anxious. You need a promise. Isn't that interesting to you that Paul starts with a promise? Do you guys know that promises, they're powerful. They are one of the most powerful things in the world, promises are. That is, if, if they're real, if you believe them and if somebody can keep them. And we know that God is keeping this promise of being near us because the incarnation is just proof of it, right? We celebrate that every Christmas. Emmanuel, what does that mean? What does that word mean? God with us. God came and became a creature, so to speak. He, he's not created, but he became a man. He crawled inside a human body and subjected himself to time, to space. He became vulnerable. He became killable. He's that close, the Bible says. God proved how close he was by his commitment to becoming a man and dwelling amongst us, tabernacling amongst us. So promises are powerful. You know, there's a guy that I really love to read. His name is Jack Miller, and he has written some super helpful stuff 
about the sonship of, of Jesus, things that would uh, coalesce with what Brent shared with us last week. Jack Miller would always say, live like, uh, live like a child, not like an orphan. You've been adopted. He, he's big on adoption and sonship. But he wasn't always big on that. In fact, there was a time when his marriage was was coming apart. He, he had resigned from ministry and he had left the denomination he was a part of because he was so jaded. He, he, he was so just upset and, and, and anxious. He just couldn't deal with ministry. He couldn't deal with life. And his wife recommended that they go to Spain and spend three and a half months on a sabbatical. And while Jack Miller was there, he began to read his Bible, but he would only study the promises. For like eight hours every day, he read his Bible from Genesis to Revelation, cover to cover, and he studied the promises of God, and it completely revolutionized and transformed the way he viewed his relationship to God. And he came back a transformed man, a changed man, and he's been able to help thousands of people, myself included. Why? Because promises are powerful things. And God, listen, God makes a lot of incredible promises to us. And this is probably one of the greatest is that he is near us. So that's where the Apostle Paul starts is that he is near us. Promises, promises for an anxious Christian are like penicillin to bacteria. It's like deadly. It's going to kill it. Promises can kill and crush our anxiety and replace them with peace. So that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. Somebody that finally understands us. Um, so here's, here's uh, offer number two. What all does God offer anxious Christians? One, he offers his presence, right? Um, this promise. Two, he offers us to engage with him, right? Engage with him. Um, and it's through prayer. Check this out. He says, the Lord is near, verse five. Do not be anxious about anything, verse six, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And this is simply an invitation for us to engage with God in prayer. So this is not really about a technique. This is not about a principle. It's about a person. It's about the God who is near us and who hears us and invites us to engage with him. Because that's the one thing we really feel like we're at a loss at sometimes when we're anxious is that if I just had somebody to talk to who would listen to me, who would understand me and who can help me. And that's what the Apostle Paul here in this in this verse is inviting us to do. He's piling up the descriptions for prayer. And I don't want to get really technical with all of that. It all means this. Let your askings be known to God. What you're struggling with, talk to God about it. You can be vulnerable with God. You can be honest with God. I've told this church before, sometimes when I pray, I roll my windows up in my car because there's nobody else that needs to hear what I'm going to say except God because I want to be that real with him. Listen, God already knows if you're angry, he knows that. He's not shocked. He's not upset or shocked that you're angry with him. I'm serious. God already knows. He's not going to go, oh, my word. I had no idea. No, God is waiting on you to talk with him about this, to work this out. There's nobody else that can offer you the peace that God can offer you through prayer. And listen, it's really unique that he is offering you to do that with him with thanksgiving. And there's and, and it's not really saying, hey, look, tell God what you need, what you think you need, and thank him because he's going to give you, he's going to give you exactly what you asked for. That's not what he says here. He says, you bring these requests to God and you do it in the spirit of thanksgiving, trusting them that he's going to give you exactly what you need because you don't really know when you're anxious. You're not really thinking clearly. You don't really know what you need. You're like, Lord, I'm anxious. I'm afraid. I'm apprehensive. I'm in a fog. I'm distracted. And I need your help. Will you please help me? Will you please come to me and help me work this out? And listen, if you're like me, you're a visual learner. And it's one thing for somebody to tell you, hey, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. And you're like, yeah, that's great. Can you just show me, though? What does that look like? What would that look like? Well, there is a story in the Bible that I'm especially fond of, and it comes from uh, a king named Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good king, but Hezekiah's kingdom was invaded, and it was invaded by a bully. It would have, it would have made the terrorists of the last 30 years look like wimps. Uh, this king of Assyria who was invading Israel and, and Samaria, his name was Sennacherib. And listen, check this out. When he would invade a territory— he would take prisoners, and while they were still alive, he would cut off their nose, he would cut off their lips, he would cut off their ears, and see how long they could stay alive. And he would do that 
just as a warning to the other places he was going to invade, don't bother resisting. Because if you do, this is going to be you. And it's really annoying to me and bothersome to me that I actually have to engage you in fighting because we're so far superior to you in military might. Just don't make me angry by making me have to go to war. Just surrender and it'll go much better for you. But when there was a king of a nation that he invaded, oh, he had a lot of fun with the kings. I wanted to tell you the gruesome graphic details of what he did with kings. So here's King Hezekiah. He loves God. He's following God. And here comes this wicked pagan king from Assyria, and he's going to invade uh, Israel. And you know what he does? He writes this threatening letter to King Hezekiah. Hezekiah. He sends it to him. And this letter is terrible. It's like the worst letter you could get. And Hezekiah is a human being, okay? He's a king, but he's a human. And he reads this letter, and he's about to poop his pants, guys. Seriously. He is so afraid because this guy's threatening. He says, look, don't make the mistake that all the other kings did and think that you can trust your God, this Yahweh character, and you think he's going to deliver you? Don't bother because, look, I can list for you all the other countries that trusted in their gods and goddesses. And do you want me to tell you what I did to them? I flattened them. I cut off their noses. I cut off their heads. I lit them on fire. I put them in a brick wall. You know, he did crazy things, Sennacherib. He was a psycho is what he was. And so here's what's interesting to me. What King Hezekiah did when he got that letter and he read it. You know what he did? He did exactly what the Apostle Paul, hundreds, thousands of years later, is telling us to do. Check this out. I want to read it to you, okay? This is what he did. I'm going to read this entire prayer to you because it's so instructive. So check this out. This is in 2 Kings chapter 19 if you want to study this later. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread the letter out before the Lord. Man, I just love that imagery. I can see him, this king, this mighty king of Israel, and he reads this letter and he is flipping out. He is flipping his wig, man. And he goes up to the house of the Lord. He gets down on his knees and he takes this letter and he spreads it out. And this is what he does. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations in their lands, and they have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods. But the work of men's hands, wood and stone, therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our, our God, save us, please. Save us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. What I love and appreciate about this prayer is that it's not pretentious. He doesn't say, uh, Lord, this is not a big deal at all. And what he's saying is stupid. He says he faces reality because, listen, guys, I want to be honest with you. The only way that you and I can face the reality that we do live in a dangerous world and that we don't know what's going to happen with COVID-19. We don't know what the economy is going to be like. We don't know how many people that we know are going to get sick and maybe die. We don't know. There's this uncertainty we have. And it's okay to be honest with God and tell him that. Hezekiah did that. He said, Lord, everything Sennacherib said is true. He has laid waste to every nation that resisted him. And he has thrown all their gods and goddesses into the fire because they weren't real. They were idols. But you are real. We need you right now. And if you don't come and rescue us, we are undone. I just love that honesty, that raw, unedited fear that Hezekiah takes and he spreads it out. And I think that so often you and I, we're looking for technique and method and we, and we miss this. We miss it. And you and I, here's what we so often find so challenging is that we can't even think clearly. You're saying, wait a minute, you're telling me to, you're telling me to pray. I can't pray. I can't do anything right now. I can't even think right now. And so I'll, I want to share something with you, okay? And I, I'm going to resist my anxiety that you're going to misunderstand this or mishear this because this is coming from, from your pastor and I love you and I care about you. And I've had my own experiences with anxiety and with debilitating depression in my own family. I've, I've shared the story with you before when Sarah and I were in California and we had our third child that Sarah had postpartum depression and it was the most debilitating, fearful thing I've ever experienced. And we had to go talk to a doctor and man, I, maybe I'll preach a whole sermon, not just on the story, but the verses of scripture we used. But I want to share one verse of scripture with you that, that saved our life, literally. 
It really did. It saved our life. And it's found in Psalm 126, and I'm just going to read it to you right now. I think I wrote it down here somewhere. Maybe I didn't. Um, Psalm 126, because my wife couldn't couldn't think. She 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 wasn't at peace. She had a hard time focusing, and so all all the things that Christians usually do to help themselves, she found it really hard and challenging to do that. But this verse of scripture found. And Psalm 126 really helped us. So check this out. This is what uh, the psalmist says. He says, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. You're, you may be thinking, what the heck's that got to do with anything? Well, it's got this to do with anything. My wife and I knew it's hard to focus right now. It's hard to think clearly. It's hard to pray. But God is inviting us to do that anyway, to tell that to him, to to share whatever it is. You know, Spurgeon once said, if you can't pray, groan. If you can't pray, then moan. Lay on the floor and moan and tell God because he is listening and he hears you. And what I'm telling you is if you don't go out and sow in tears, there's not going to be any harvest for you to bring home. You know, anxiety comes and life slows down and, and it almost seems like it grinds to a screeching halt. But God still invites you and I to fight, to fight because we have that promise. Remember, we have the promise of God's presence. He is near. He understands. He's accessible. And he is inviting you and I to lay this matter out before him. And it, hey, look, at the carpet and you cry, you straight up ugly cry for 10 minutes and you whisper like Jared Wilson did, Lord, save me, save me, I'm dying, I'm drowning, save me, groan, that counts. That's what Paul is telling you and I to do. That's what Hezekiah did, lay all of these things out before the Lord. So um, this is what Ed Welch, one of my favorite biblical counselors, says about anxiety and prayer. He says this, hope and peace don't come without a fight. God is pleased to work hope and peace in us surely, but gradually. They come as we meditate, feed on scripture, feed on Christ, and keep calling out for manna and grace. The kingdom of God advances through weakness and dependence on the king, not through quick and bloodless victories. If you are feeling a bit weak, you are probably on the right path. So listen, Paul tells us to do this. The apostle Peter tells us this. In 1 Peter 5, 7, he says this, cast all your anxieties, same word in Greek, Cast all your anxieties on him, that is Jesus, because he cares for us. Now, what does it mean to cast? My son Jackson loves to fish, and he's got a cast net. And there's a technique to cast that net the right way so it yields the, the richest catch, right? And that's what that word means. It means to cast your anxieties off of you. But what does that mean? It means you're throwing them onto somebody else. You're throwing them onto God. He wants them. God actually wants you and I to transfer our anxieties to him, and we do that. Through engaging him in prayer. We do that through engaging him in prayer. I know the word, you say, oh, so you're just telling me to pray more? No, I'm telling you to pray better. <laughs> I'm telling you to pray honestly, pray raw. Do it with the hope that you have been assured that God is near. So those are the first two principles, right? We have the assurance of God's presence. We have uh, an invitation to engage with God in prayer. And here's the last thing, and we're going to do this really fast, okay? This is really important. So what do you get out of that? Why bother doing that? Do you know what I told you the opposite of anxiety is? It's not being carefree. The opposite of anxiety is actually peace. It's peace. Check this out in verse 7. Verse 6 says, Don't be the Lord is at hand, or the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Verse 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? What you and I need in our anxiety is peace. And we don't need human peace. We need divine peace. This says the peace of God. In Greek, that means it's a genitive of source. It means this is God's peace that he wants you to have, the peace of God. And the only way that you and I can get that is through that promise and through engaging with God. And what's really interesting about this is what Paul says this peace does. Do you know what this peace does? It guards you and me. It guards us. Isn't that what we need? You say there's something out there and I'm 
apprehensive about it. I'm afraid. I'm on edge. I'm uneasy. And I just need, if I'm divided into a million pieces, is what it means to be anxious. I'm torn up. If somebody could just guard my mind and my heart, that's what you need a guardian. And God says, His peace will guard you. That word is so powerful. It actually means it's the same word used for a Roman garrison, like this army that is stationed just to protect this city or to protect this person. It's like a bodyguard. Now, I know you and I, when we think of bodyguard, be honest. If I say, Hey, look, I got this bodyguard. And this is the last guard that you will ever need. Nothing can penetrate the wall that this guard is going to put about you. You would think, oh, man, what is it, like an MMA? <laughs> is it an MMA expert? Is it somebody like Mike Tyson? Is it a Green Beret or like a John Rambo? What is it? Somebody violent, somebody ruthless, a cutthroat? No, it's peace. <laughs> that sounds crazy, doesn't it? Peace from God guards you. It guards you. That's that's the word. Uh, it's it's like this in the in the Philippian city was was guarded by a Roman garrison. So this military word they would have they would have understood that just like you and I can understand it. So what is he talking about here? Well, a hint is at the very end of this passage in Christ Jesus. How do you and I? How can we believe that this peace of God is ours? Because we have peace with God. That also means we get peace from God. The peace of God. And I'll say it this way. The reason that you and I are apprehensive and anxious is because the world is a dangerous place and we've got enemies out there. We've got enemies in here. Let's be honest, right? We've got the world, we've got the devil, and we've got the flesh to contend with. Did you know that before you became a Christian, you only had one enemy, just one? You might not know this, but the Bible teaches this. Before you and I became converted and became a follower of Jesus and believed the gospel, the Bible says we only had one enemy, and our enemy was God. The Bible says in Romans 8, we had enmity with God. We were alienated from him, and we had a hostile relationship with him. It's hard for people to believe that because they're like, ah, come on, I wasn't angry at God. <clears throat> well, the Bible says that even though at times that, that enmity was lying dormant, maybe like a volcano in Hawaii before it was active, that there's times when God challenges you or steps on your idol or confronts your life and it gets active. But you and I had God as our enemy. But when we became a Christian, the Bible says something interesting happened. Peace. We have peace with God. Uh, Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith in Christ, you and I had peace with God, right? So, see, before we were at peace with the devil, we were at peace with the world, and we were at peace with ourselves, and our sin, and our flesh. So the peace we had was a stupid peace. It was an idiotic peace. We didn't know any better, Right. But now, the Bible says, when we become a Christian, we have peace with God, but we have war with our flesh. We have war with the world, and we have war with the devil. But listen, the most important person, we have peace with God. We, we are at one with him. We have been united. We have been adopted. We're in his family. He loves us. He's redeemed us. He's cleansed us. He's purchased us, and therefore, he is near to us. And that's why the Bible says, in Christ, we have this peace available. And that, that peace acts as our guard. It protects us from everything. And so I want to close with this. How, how do we get this? How do we get these three things? God's presence, engaging with God in prayer, and God's peace to guard us. Do you know, my friends, the only way that we have these promises to us is because Jesus Christ had to forfeit all of these. Now think about it. Think about it. God is near us. We have his presence. When Jesus Christ suffered the wrath of God on the cross, do you know God was not near him? God actually abandoned him and deserted him and forsook him. And he became the object of God's wrath and anger. And all of God's fury was absorbed by Jesus. In that moment, you remember, Jesus cried out in the garden, my God, my God, is there any other way? Let this cup pass. And on the cross, he cried out, why have you forsaken me? We have, we have this promise. We can engage with God in prayer. He hears us. Jesus on the cross, when he cried out, God did not hear Jesus. So, so Jesus fear, forfeited the presence of God. He forfeited engaging with God in prayer. And the last thing he forfeited was this peace with God. He didn't have peace with God. Jesus became the object of God's wrath, and he took the punishment that you and I deserve. And because of that, that's what it means that we have this peace in Christ Jesus. Because of all of that, we have the tools that we need. We have the promises from God we need to overcome and to confront our anxiety. And that's just the start. Now, listen. There's a lot more to this passage, and the next time that you and I talk about anxiety, we're going to talk about that down in verse 8, but that's enough for today for us to just pause and thank God for and reflect on. 
So let's do that now. Let's stop and let's pray. But before we do, I just want to remind you of something. Some of you have anxiety and it is debilitating. And this is maybe piquing your interest. Okay, there's help available. And I want you to know that we have an amazing biblical counselor at our church. And she's a tremendous gift from God. Her name's Melissa Affalter. And she is a Fieldstone Counseling representative. She's vetted. Uh, she's certified. She's had training. She's been to school. She's got her license. And if you need help and you want to reach out to Melissa, you can go to the Fieldstone Counseling website or you can go to our website. And it's gracelifeflorida.com. And you can click on the Get Help or Biblical Counseling tab, and it will take you right uh, into a contact form to reach out to Melissa. And she specializes. Uh, she special. She specializes in fear and anxiety and depression. And she'll be able to, to give you some helpful uh, tools and take you deeper into what the Bible says about that. And I know she would love to hear from you. And thank you, Melissa, if you're out there watching for all the help that you've given us uh, in suffering with anxiety. So let's pause for a minute and pray. And then we'll hear some announcements and, and we'll, we'll have our charge. Heavenly Father, thank you for these promises that we have. Thank you that we have the assurance of your presence. We can engage with you through prayer. And, and Lord, we have the peace of God to protect us. So we have protection, we have engagement, we have assurance, and none of those things we're going to get, Lord, through some secular book that we're going to read. We're just going to get tips and secular techniques. Some of them may prove helpful or more helpful than others, but when Paul talks about anxiety, he takes us to a God-centered hope, and we're grateful for that. So help us to all wrap our minds around that as we suffer from anxiety. And uh, I pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Megan, come and close us out. I'll be quick on announcements for you guys today. Um, Tommy had mentioned in the beginning that um, we ask you to join us in prayer for our next steps, hopefully starting next week, um, possibly meeting back in the high school. There's some uh, contingencies. We're waiting to hear for the leadership. I know for those of you who are watching on YouTube, we had some sound difficulties. So I just wanted to catch you up to speed on that. So just be in prayer um, with us for our next steps for um, our regather process. Um, if you are not part of our email um, subscription or our texting subscription and you want to get um, updates in that way, you can email um, me at contact at gracelifeflorida.com and I can get you signed up for that. Um, we've also been putting updates on our website. Tommy had mentioned that it's gracelifeflorida.com. Um, there's a special COVID um, page that has all of the links to how to live stream um, our latest updates, um, where to get the resources that has the lyrics and all of that. Um, that's all on our site too. So I just wanted to make you aware. I know social media is typically these days the biggest uh, way to get information, but we have other ways too, um, if you're not on Facebook, Instagram, or anything like that. Um, and I think that's all I've got for you. So if you guys want to stand with me, whether you're here at a satellite location or in your home, and we'll say the charge together. All right. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent. Um,